Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name is Brandt. And this episode, we're discussing SST-91, the Divine Horseman LP, Devil's River. It's our second Divine Horseman release in a row here, Brandt, and we've got a special guest. Yeah, we've got Julie Christensen on the podcast today. Yeah, couldn't be nicer person. Really appreciate her coming on the show here. Uh, I almost wanted to call this an LP brand, Devil's it's, River. It's an LP. You can call it an LP. Well, last time you gave me a hard time for calling <laughs> Middle of the Night an LP because it only had eight songs on it. This one has ten songs on it. Does that make it? Does that make it an LP brand? Double digits is an LP. All right, fine. I'm glad we sorted that out. Why don't you spiel it for the dudes and dudettes here? All right. Yeah. First, I have to th- say thanks to Julie. She was very patient with me. We had some technical difficulties and she was really, really cool throughout the whole thing. So really appreciate her, her patience. Ryan, you spiel. I'm going to, I'm going to see how many you have. You know, that singer from the screamers, Tomata Duplenty. Yes. I could be spieler Duplenty tonight if I wanted, but I'll wait and wait and see what you have. Oh my God. That was, that was terrible. (laughs) I just read John Doe's new book, man. I'm all over what, this. You're, you're, full of, you're, you're all full of bad spiel puns? <laughs> yeah. Is that your excuse? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'll, I'll go first. Fine. I'll, uh, you have uh, volleyed the spiel back at me. So first one I want to mention is I got this new release from Water Under the Bridge Records. I pretty much like just automatically order whatever is released new these days. And this is Craig Bear's label, of course, puts out stuff from Pedro. It's this cassette by a band called The Dial Tones. Mm. And it's kind of like surf punk. Definitely got that uh, early 80s, you know, kind of surf punk sound like the last, but also play with like lots of reverb on the guitars and some instro tunes quite like it. But here's the thing about this water in the bridge package that I got. It has a promo insert in it, Brent. Okay. And in it are two releases that might be of interest to you. They are for me. One is uh, a release coming out by a band called The Wish Granters, Brent. Never heard of them. So The Wish Granters has Mike Watt in it. It also has this guy Vince McRooney from Bazooka in the band, Brent. Okay, is this a new release? New recording? It does not give any details on this. It says Wish Granters, LP and download, self-title, split release with Recess Records, uh, I have not looked it up hmm. as to like what this actually is, if it's new or old. But I assume it's new because it has Jimmy from this band, The Toys That Kill, in it. Okay. And uh, then a guy named uh, Jamie Morrison from a band called Pale Angels. I don't really know much about Pale Angels. We've talked about Anyways, them on the podcast before. Yeah. Yep. Uh, that's the first one, though. Here's wow. the second Watts trying to keep up with like Billy Childish or Robert Pollard or something like that. <laughs> yeah. He's Dude's got him prolific. Coming. Yeah. Then it says this brand, not far off. Sacrin Trust. TBA. Hmm. Cassette and download. Really? What could that be? Huh. 
Something live? I don't know. I just know I want it. Yeah. That's that's uh, spiel number one. Good okay. promo insert. That dial tones, what format did that come out on? Cassette. Okay. Yeah, cassette and download. Similar type of cassette package as that incest cattle cassette. All right. This one, I actually, I actually like this release better than that incest cattle. That might be sacrilege for some listeners, but I like the dial tones. Second thing I thought we should mention, Brant, and I, I might be uh, might be uh, scooping a spiel from you, was um, this band Empty Flowers. A listener, Randy Larson, sent us some tunes, and I like them. Uh, I'm really thankful that Randy sent them to us, and I can see why he may have thought that I would like it anyways with um, some of the bands that I've mentioned before. I really like Empty Flowers, actually. I'm, I'm surprised I hadn't heard of them. It has kind of a, um, like a post-hardcore Discord noise, amphetamine reptile vibe, but melodic kind of uh, sound to it. Sounds a lot like, uh, well, not a, it doesn't sound a lot like, but I can see why, you know, Randy may have thought that I would be into it with some of my top 10 bands in the last couple of years, like Stunning or Buildings, Mets, Sewing Needle. I don't know. I, I was really thankful to get this, and I've been spinning it a lot this week. Well, yeah, we should clarify. When, when we say sent it, he didn't just send a code. He sent a massive package. And if you want Ryan to listen to it, it's got to be physical or it's just not going to happen. So <laughs> <laughs> It's true. It's true. I was very, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to gush here or whatever, but I was, I was pretty blown away and yeah. very appreciative and I definitely like the tunes. So th- big thanks to Randy. Yeah. I like it too. Um, also kind of surprised I haven't heard of it. I don't run in the same kind of noise rock circles as you do, but he kind of straddles that world and like the metal world a little bit. Randy uh, was in a band called Cable for many years and they, they have an album coming out on that label translation loss, which I believe is owned by the singer of Empty Flowers, Christian McKenna. And they're like the, they're reformed, I guess. And they're, they're, they're putting this album out. It's called Take the Stairs to Hell. It'll probably be out by the time this episode airs or close to it. And, uh, if you want to know more about that band Cable, uh, this podcast that I listened to called Metal Matters, which is uh, hosted by this guy, Michael Hill, who's the singer in a metal band called Tombs. Uh, Randy is, while he co-hosts many episodes on that podcast, they do this classic records series. It's not all they do on the podcast. He also interviews bands, but sometimes they review these classic records and some of the ones that they've done that uh, our listeners might be into is, well, they just did Poison Idea, Feel the Darkness, and Randy co-hosted that one. Uh, they've done In My Head by Black Flag, Skin Yards, Hollow Ground. They've done records by Godflesh, Neurosis, Voivod. So it's a really good podcast everyone should check out. But there is a nice long interview with Randy about Cable's history and, and the reformation of the band. A cool SSD connection is on the 2009 Cable album, The Failed Convict. Uh, There's a track called Outside Abilene that has a guest vocal from Mike Watt. 
So hmm. there, there's. I did not know that. I checked out Cable too. I had not really looked into them before, but once I got this package, I started to check out what the uh, the members had done. Uh, definitely, like Empty Flowers is more my cup of tea, and I'm really digging it. Especially the record five. That's the one if I like it, too. Yeah. Yeah. If if folks like want to check out Empty Flowers, I would start there, and then just keep going. Great band. Yeah, that's the one that grabbed me. What else are you spieling about? Well, um, I thought I would mention all these shows that I went to this week too. Yeah. Uh, so there was a music festival that I went to, and I don't know how I should approach this though because I saw like over fifteen bands in seventy-two hours, wow. and yeah, um, I thought I would just maybe list them in the order that I saw them, and then mention ones that I really liked. <laughs> okay, go. Um, okay. From Saskatoon, Slow Down Molasses, I saw them from Calgary, Heavy Dive. Then I saw this band that I was already a fan of, and man, did they blow me away, called Life in Vacuum, um, from Toronto area. And uh, dude, they were so good. Um, heavy, uh, noise rock, post-punk, post-hardcore they would be great on a bill with empty flowers. In fact, like life and vacuum were just killer. People should check out them. Then I saw fly Pan Am kind of a, they're a Montreal band. I think they're associated with Godspeed. You black emperor, I believe. Um, then the headliner, the Mesthetics. So got to see them. They were in my top 10 of 2018, their self-titled record that came out on discord. That of course is, uh, the rhythm section from Fugazi. And I got to tell you, like, you know, sometimes an instrumental band live is not quite as good as on record. That happens. It actually does happen, right? Like, um, you're kind of like, ah, I kind of have to be in the mood for it at home. But when you go see it live, it's even harder to grab you. When Brendan Canty kind of started off the set with like his, it's kind of a signature kind of for me anyways, his sound was like, you know, and it, and then the whole band just kicked in. Yep. It was, it was just killer. And he hit that big, that big bell that he has too, right? Like the, uh, the Fugazi Brendan Canty bell that he just nails during the songs. That was killer. Right. Um, so they were great, super solid. Joe Lolly was like, almost like a monk just playing bass, just grooving in the back, very stoic, very quiet looking. Um, Holding it all down. Oh, totally, man. It was great. Go to the next day. I saw a band called the Chivarettes, kind of a a garage rock band. Vocals kind of sound like Seven Year Bitch. And I quite like the vocals. Um, Saw a band, Ancient Pig. Then I saw this band called Lemon Grab from Montreal again. And uh, they were very cool. Really really French and really artistic. And I can say that because I'm French, but they were like, they just like something about a band from Montreal and um, her vocals that it was a female lead singer. Her vocals kind of reminded me of this band that came through Canada in the nineties brand. I don't know if you remember seeing a band called the general fools. No, Does that ring a bell? no. Yeah. The vocals really reminded me of the general fools also from like Quebec, but from the nineties. So that was kind of a neat one. Then I saw kid Congo and, uh, the pink monkey birds. Yep. 
that was cool. Uh, really great band. Probably quote of the festival, Kid Congo goes at one point, you know, Depeche Mode have got their own personal Jesus, but Kid Congo Powers and the Pink Monkey Birds, we've got our own Black Santa. And uh, <laughs> and then they he, he would have a little thing in between each song. It was kind of like... Uh, it was kind of like a cross between like uh, Screaming Jay Hawkins, Little Richard, uh, Nick Cave, um, Detroit Skronk, like uh, Garage Rock. It was very cool. And also closed with some cramps and gun club songs, of course. Nice. Then I saw one of uh, my bucket list bands, The Oblivions. And... Uh, I mean, I've been a big fan of the Oblivions for a long time. I'm, I would have much rather had seen, like, uh, probably, I, I probably like Compulsive Gamblers or Raining Sound more than the Oblivions, but the Oblivions were insane. I didn't realize this all these years listening to them, and I've never actually looked them up on YouTube or whatever to see what they look like live, but uh, two guitars, no bass, and one guitar through a bass amp. That's the Oblivion sound. And yeah. um, I thought and they that trade that... off instruments for sure. Yeah, Jacko switched with Greg, and Greg played drums for kind of this, the last third of the set. Greg Oblivion, yeah. very cool. And the final day, uh, that was yesterday, I think. Yeah, I so I saw a band from our homeland, Saskatchewan, a band called. Blue Youth, I thought they were just awesome. Again, um, kind of post-hardcore noise, very tight. I bought their record, well worth it, and they're great on record too. They have this kind of self-released, I don't know if I would call it an EP or an LP, but it plays on 45, Brent. That's probably an EP. <laughs> they were playing in this really, really tiny room during the day, and then I went to go see actually the headliner, a band called Kowloon Walled City and they were insane in the room and uh, there was probably like 40 of us 50 of us maybe packed in this really tiny room for Kowloon Walled City and they're from Oakland they play like drop tuning but not drop D they go lower kind of like that band from Florida way back called Floor they go I don't know. I'm not a guitarist. I don't know what the like the lower than drop D would be B C I don't know yeah, um, we'll just call it uh, Boris. The Boris tuning. The Boris tuning. <laughs> okay, it was insane. Like the heaviness, the slowness, the drop tuningness, and the whole room was like moving together for the whole set. Awesome. Um, and then fast forward to the evening, I saw a local band called Aruba. Kind of, I don't know. I guess garage surf. They were okay. Saw a band called BB, female vocals, um, guitar and bass. They're from Vancouver, kind of garagey. They were good, actually. Uh, band from Edmonton, Physical Copies. They were touted as having kind of a Devo sound, but that's just because they played to some, you know, some tracks that kind of have an electronic keyboard type of sound. Um, and the lead singer kind of sounds like Devo-ish a bit, uh, but they also kind of had a. I would say kind of a strokes and the hives type of vibe. They were good. They were entertaining. And then the headliner was Manor Astro Man. And that was um, a wicked show. Hadn't seen them for probably, I don't know, when did we open for them? Got to be 20 years ago. Easily, yep. Easily 20 years ago. Uh, saw them. They were 
awesome, of course, but unfortunately, they it took them like four or five songs to get the sound dialed in, hmm. and um, the it was just like way too much bass, and you couldn't hear the guitar for the first few songs, which was unfortunate. But they ended up tweaking it just right um, after about you know four or five songs, and it was a great show. So that's what happens when you're probably doing a line check. Yeah, no, they they did it live for sure. And I mean, they flew in. I'm sure it was a fly-in. And they walked in to the venue like 20 minutes before they hit the stage. And boom, they were playing, you know. That's a festival for you. Yeah. So all in all, it was was great. Lots of live music. And uh, I got to say, you know, it's getting harder and harder to go out and see live music. If I'm being honest, like it's really hard... That band, that band you mentioned, Fly, Fly Pan Am, is playing at the club I book at tonight. And I'm sitting here talking to you. Yeah. And I mean, they were great. They were yeah. great. It was very cool to see them. Very neat. But yeah, man, it's hard to go out. But I guess my point is like, <laughs> when you go out, it's actually worth it. Yeah. But, uh, you, but it's you the feel getting really, there. <laughs> it's the getting there. And you feel really, really rough in the morning. So yeah. I don't know. There's a uh, a festival report for you. I'm done. Awesome, man. Well, I'm jealous that I wasn't there to hang with you and go see some of those shows. Maybe not all of them, though. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I'll I'll get through my spiel's really fast here. You ready? Okay. Okay. Uh, one of our listeners, Paul Schwarty on Twitter, let us know about, you probably know about this book, Ryan, but surprisingly, I didn't. I thought I would. And I've definitely seen, you know, when you go on like Amazon or whatever, and it like recommends stuff that it thinks you would like. I've seen yep. this cover, but I never clicked on it. So it's John Fine from Bitch Magnet. That that book rules. Yeah. It rules, man. Well, I've got it now. Um, thanks to this recommend from this guy, Paul. And based on his recommend so he apparently he talks about slovenly a little bit in this book so it was like any book that mentions slovenly has to be good you know where you may have seen that book man where uh on my bookshelf when you're visiting my house <laughs> could be well i've it's got a, it's a great book it's actually one of one of the one of the books that i compare um, like a new book too. I'm like, ah, it wasn't really as good as that John Fine book. That book, um, Your Band Sucks by John Fine, two things that uh, I always think about um, is because it, it paints such a very cool portrait of the American indie scene for that time period. And re- and it references like not just Slovenly Band, like like dozens of bands from back then that we all love the other thing that uh, i re- i always remember about that book is he uh he talks about his own tinnitus oh yeah and when i have to describe it to like my own tinnitus to people i use a, a quote from his book and i says i just say like i can't hear silence anymore that's how bad my tinnitus <laughs> is and that's that's a quote from that John Fine book. Hmm. Okay. I might use that one myself. So (laughs) (laughs) I was going to, well, I'll spiel about it. So Paul also sent over this link to a Vanity Fair piece that must've come out around the time this book came out called 10 bands. You weren't cool enough, 
cool enough to like in the 80s and 90s. And I read it. it it's by John Fine. And it kind of reminded me of that book that you and I both like. The Andrew Earls one. Uh, Give, me it? Indie Rock. Give me Indie Rock. It, his list, it's one of those kind of lists, right? But this one has YouTube yeah. links. And there's like Autoclave, Bastro, Voivod, Breadwinner, Honor Roll, and Slovenly. Yep. So I was going to read what he wrote about Slovenly since there's so little Slovenly info out there, but maybe we'll just post it and people can read for themselves. And as I brought it up to on on my browser to, to spiel about during this interview, I see that there's a second one that he had done, I didn't see the first time, called 12 More Bands. Oh, cool. Yeah. I've never seen that one. I saw the 10. Okay, moving on. Did you see, Ryan, that 21361 has a new website and distribution through In The Red Records. I did. Yeah. Unfortunately, no new merch. I saw that. I think I saw it on Instagram and eagerly dialed up the website. And hopefully that gets rectified soon. Yeah. Okay, here's here's another one, Ryan, that's pod related. The 33 and a third book series. They have a new book coming out called B-Sides Anthology. It's new essays by 33 and the third writers, like people that have written bo- other 33 and a third books, on beloved and underrated albums. It's coming out on September 5th. It has 55 new essays in this book. Ooh. Uh, it's got New York Dolls Too Much Too Soon, Rites of Spring self-titled album, Jane's Addiction, Nothing Shocking, one of my all-time faves, Negative Lands, Escape from Noise, so we'll have to get that one for podcast research. <laughs> what episode is that? Oh, I don't I don't know, but we probably won't be getting to it for the, another four or five years. And a friend of the pod, Michael T. Fournier, is doing Rodan's Rusty in this book. Ooh, 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 that's a good one. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Yeah, man. And I'd like to save this one for... but. God damn it. I think I mentioned, Ryan, we're going to take a break, so I'm going to do it now. I finished the More Fun in the New World audiobook. I think I mentioned to you that I I bought this one and the previous one on audiobook instead of buying the physical copy of it. This is the John Doe and Tom DeSalva book. And uh, the the previous one, I actually won a Grammy for like best audiobook or something like that. And I like this one way better, mostly because it covers a lot of stuff that you don't normally hear about. It still has interviews with Rollins and Keith Morris, which don't get me wrong, I'll always listen to those guys. And both of those are really good, too. You know, he kind of, I don't know what the book is like, but in the audiobook version, he interviews Henry Rollins. He also interviews, John Doe does, he also interviews Billy Zoom and he interviews Norwood Fisher and Angela Moore of Fishbone. And all these people, by the way, that I'm about to name, they read their chapters themselves. Mike Ness's chapter is actually really good. I love Jack Grissom's chapter. It's this really cool kind of poetic piece about being an aging punk rock celebrity. Jack Grissom is just turning into one of my favorite writers, man. He has a real talent. That's the one where he talks about stage diving in the produce section. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and to hear him read it is is just awesome. Uh, 
of course I've said before I'm a big fan of a lot of these band but bands but Sid Griffin who's an amazing writer in his own right he's written tons of books uh, from uh, the Long Riders his chapter is really cool about the Long Riders and the Paisley Underground uh, Peter Case from the Plimsolls and the Nerves and his chapter is really good there's a few chapters on top Jimmy who unfortunately is not around to, to write his own chapter but nice to see him get his due uh, a great chapter on the Kinman brothers and rank and file totally get their due in this book my faves were the Terry Graham chapter he has an awesome one on his time in the gun club Annette from the Bangles and blood on the saddle hers is really good and I really especially like Pleasant Gaiman's chapter on the screaming sirens and kind of all her escapades in Hollywood and she mentioned a movie called The Running Kind that has the Screaming Sirens, and I think maybe she says TSOL in it. I haven't gotten around to watching it yet, but I noticed it's on YouTube. So I'm going to watch it and report back, but we might have to add that one into our list of punk movies. Okay. Yeah, that's my review, I guess, of More Fun in the New World. It's an awesome book. So you had mentioned that it doesn't really get into the Divine Horseman in this book. Mm-mm. No, the Flesh Eaters get mentioned a few times, but I mean, the focus of this book is truly, I would say, on the Roots scene. Blasters, um, you know, Tex and the Horseheads. I don't, I'm not sure the Divine Horsemen get, get mentioned. The Flesh Tones get mentioned a few times. Chris D does, especially in the Gun Club chapter, because he, he produced one of the, you know, half of Fire of Love. So he gets talked about a little bit, but he had his own chapter in the in the first book, and yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah. Oh, hey, uh, are you done your spiels? Yeah. I just thought of um, you mentioning that John Fine book reminded me of something else that uh, since we're going on break, I better mention because folks should check this out. That um, there's a ton of Silkworm albums that are getting re-released. And in particular, the In the In the West record, um, which is also, if I'm not mistaken, mentioned in Andrew Earle's book. But uh, people should check out this label, Comedy Minus One. Go check out the Silkworm stuff and then their later band, Bottomless Pit. And while you're at it, you should check out the uh, Carl Hendricks stuff on uh, Comedy Minus One and then just get all the rest of Carl Hendricks stuff and the rest of all the Silkworm stuff. That's it. Okay. Should we kick it right over to Julie? Why don't we do that? History Lesson, Part 1. We're joined on the podcast today by Julie Christensen. Julie, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Brant. Before we get into the Divine Horseman, Julie, why don't you take me back to where were you raised and how did you first start singing? Well, I'm an Iowa girl and, uh, it's almost Canada. (laughs) And, uh, and, uh, and we, um, you know, we had long winters and, uh, uh, a lot of people I knew, including my, uh, two of my younger brothers who had a band together for nine years, you know, got real good at an instrument or a, or something or other, and uh, I got good at singing. I was in choir and, and sang in church and stuff for cookies. They always put me on alto, even though I have a soprano voice. I always wished I was an alto, but <laughs> uh, be- when you're smart, they, they make you sing harmony, and so I got used to singing harmony and stuff. And um, when I went to college, 
uh, everybody thought I was going to go to school for music. But back in that uh, time, they didn't have, you know, vocal, the vocal music um, degrees were always in classical music. And I wasn't interested in that. And they didn't have, I don't think Berkeley music even had a Berkeley school of music even had like a vocal music department at that time. I wasn't aware of it if it did. And I, anyway, I went to school for um, Chinese and Asian studies, and uh, uh, I would have made a terrible diplomat. I was thinking I would be a diplomat, you know, because I had taken French in high school. But I um, I wound up getting in a, a country rock and western swing wannabe Burrito Brothers band anyway uh, called Long Shot in Iowa City, where the University of Iowa was. You know, I would I would always make my 8.30 Chinese class after uh, we would open for like Steve Goodman and John Prine and Sleep at the Wheel. And hmm. I made the dean's list and all of that stuff. But, uh, you know, after my first year of school, I dropped out to go on the road with, with Longshot. So this was original music? Yeah. Well, some of it was original music. And a lot of it was uh, we covered... Things like um, Waylon Jennings songs and, uh, you know, I, I I wanted them to do more Western swing stuff. So we would do Hank Williams songs like I'm Satisfied With You as Western swing song. And uh, and I would do uh, uh, Stand Up Fool by Rose Maddox and, and uh, you know, Your Good Girl's Gonna Go Bad and things like that, you know. Okay. And you were, the, you were the lead singer? I was one of the lead singers. They they would just have me come up part of the set and therefore would get by with paying me like five to fifteen dollars a show. <laughs> it was really stupid. Yeah. You know, and I and I I like a lot of other singers at the time would take it, you know. Mm-hmm. And go, Well, gee, I'm 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 a you know, professional musician and since I only paid fifty five dollars a month for my little lean to one room apartment at the bass player's house. I didn't have much overhead. Any recordings? There were some recordings of that band. Um, a couple of them I'm on, but they they never did um, put those on um, on their. Um, they made a 45 uh, with uh, some of their original music. Uh, I, j- I fell in love with the guitar player. Uh, he had a uh, an original Clarence White B bender. You know, one of the original ones, Uh, I guess Clarence White wasn't the actual inventor of it, but it was invented for Clarence White. And uh, Andy had one of those. But, you know, six of the eight people in that band are dead. Wow. And I survived. The fiddle player is still alive. Um, He came to one of my uh, rock band's gigs in 2016 that we did in Iowa. And, uh, you know, we congratulated ourselves and the roadie for still being alive. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, it was, they were, I, I uh, my first uh, brush with hard drugs wasn't with uh, Chris D, let's just say that. Yeah. So how did you end up making your way out to L.A.? Um, I was in Austin, Texas first. Uh, I Like I say, I had met the guys with Asleep at the Wheel and uh, the piano player and uh, sometime fiddle player of Asleep at the Wheel, Danny Levin, was my housemate for a while. Uh, when he was going through one of his divorces. Um, and uh, uh, he taught me how to make a jazz book in Austin, Texas. And that's how I met all the guys, uh, uh, who, uh, including Roscoe Beck, who later got me on the uh, Leonard Cohen gig, because uh, I was doing jazz in Austin. 
uh, while I was waitressing. You know, I was there for about six years and uh, I waited tables at Willie Nelson's backstage bar and grill and met like Stevie Ray Vaughan and all the people from Willie Nelson's, you know, uh, entourage and and uh, a wonderful mandolin player named Paul Glass who plays with everybody. You know, so I was in Austin for a few years and then uh, I did kind of all I could do there. Uh, the guy, Michael Brodsky, who was like the only game in town there, he was the A&M guy and he had signed Brave Combo and, you know, he was working with Joe Ely and, and uh, all those same jazz guys played with Joe Ely and whoever else they could play with because, you know, they had the chops to play with anybody. This guy, Michael Brodsky, would would confuse me with uh, Lisa Gilkison, you know, Eliza Gilkison called herself Lisa. It oh, okay. was her real name at that time. And he would get about five minutes into the conversation before he'd realize I wasn't Lisa Gilkison. <laughs> you know, oh, Julie Christensen, Lisa Gilkison, you know, it's like, what a tool. And so, so um, I thought, well, you know, I've gone as far as I can in this town. So I left Austin. And uh, my husband, you know, who never came out to my gigs anyway, and wasn't that supportive, he had been a he had been a musician and was bitter because uh, when he'd gone out to San Francisco and they had their big um, uh, interview with Rolling Stone uh, with Chet Flippo, may he rest in peace. He was having he was having an interview with my my husband's rock and roll band and they had this they were basking in the glory of their interview and at the end of the interview, uh, Chet said, "Well, what are you guys doing tonight?" And they said, "Well, we're we're seeing the um, we're going to see a couple." Uh, guys play, you know, these uh, blues guys, mm -hmm. these two albino brothers, friends of ours. And so the article came out, and of course it was on Johnny and Edgar Winter. <laughs> so so my first husband, my first of three Catholic damaged husbands, was uh, bitter about the music business, and he never came out to see me play because he just felt like I was emotionally naked when I played. And anyway, so I went out to Los Angeles on my own, and it took him another three months to come out and by then I'd, you know, sown all my, you know, musical and other seeds and, and, uh, I'd already, uh, sat in at the, at the, uh, at DeVita's with, uh, Eddie Zip, uh, thanks to Bill Bentley, one of my roommates who was the music editor of the LA Weekly, you know, he was a New Orleans guy and, and Fred Tackett was, was, uh, the guitar player with him at that time. He, he's played with, you know, Little Feet and all these people. And I'd, I'd already sat in with, um, you know, I was starting to sit in with people like, uh, you know, Top Jimmy and the Rhythm Pigs in the basement of the Cafe de Grand. And that's how I met Chris. Now, are you aware of the punk rock scene at this point? Well, I'm sort of slightly aware. Bill Bentley, my my roommate, would, would go, you know, don't you want to come out and see X and the Go-Go's? And, and I would say, well, you know, I've got a gig. I've got a society gig, you know, singing, you know, pop tunes for Republicans, you know, and they're going to pay me 250 bucks. So I'm sorry, I, I can't go. And it was this momentous thing at the Starlight or, where, or that, at wherever that was, you know, the Palladium or wherever it was. And I, and I, I couldn't go. Yeah, I had a gig, you know. And in the daytime, I worked at Bullock's Wilshire first at the tea room or first at the selling purses and then at the tea room. And, uh, then I got a jazz gig doing, you know, Andrew's sister's 
tunes. And then um, during the time, I, I, I'm getting all the timeline scrambled because I, I drank a bit too, you know, and right. I, you know, I hadn't found heroin again, you know, by this, at this point. Uh, and I, and uh, I got culled from my, my Vine Street uh, bar and grill gig by this uh, woman, Rita Valente, to do the uh, Stepsisters. And Rita had been singing backup for Linda Ronstadt with the Stepsisters and her her partner in the, in the Stepsisters had gone on to do solo gigs and stuff. So she needed another Stepsister and she plucked me to do um, to, to fill that spot. So I never sang backup with Linda Ronstadt, but I, I was with the Stepsisters. And that's when... Um, after I met Chris and sang uh, back up on Top Jimmy's version of Hello Walls for um, the Little Sisters compilation, this thing called Don't Shoot, where Johnny Doe did Wrecking Ball, and mm-hmm. and um, I think Jeffrey Lee Pierce did something. and But anyway, I, I sang on Hello Walls and was introduced to Chris, and I think Chris got kind of sweet on me and, and gave me a cut on that, and that's how I met Greg Lees. And uh, because my one of my drummer friends, um, uh, James Cruz, uh, helped me put together the band for that session. It was a real crackerjack band. Pete Wozner, who eventually came out here to Nashville and uh, played with all sorts of people out here, played piano. So anyway, I, I sang Almost Persuaded for that uh, compilation. And then Chris started coming out to see the Stepsisters at Nucleus Nuance. And he was wearing crutches because I think he was he he was in um, Escape from L.A. or something, some movie. He was doing character actor work at that time too. Okay. And so one night, he finally got me home, you know, in my red lipstick and ponytail because we we'd do a '40s set, you know, Vandrew sister stuff, and then we'd do a '50s set of like Rock and Robin and you know Motown and stuff. So he finally got me home to make out, and we hear this big clatter in the street and. Uh, in, in the in the alley at at his house on Fairfax and you know banging on the window and beer cans you know rolling around in the on the sidewalk and and uh, you know Chris Chris you know open the door and it's and it's John Doe and Dave Alvin you know wanting to come in so they come in and the two of them and me proceed to sing country songs until the light of day right <laughs> and then I go home so the next day I go to the Wells Fargo to do some business, and uh, Chris D has obviously read the riot act to Dave Alvin, and and I run into Dave Alvin in the bank, and Dave goes, "I'm so sorry for last night, and Chris D is such a great guy." And <laughs> 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 so uh, eventually, Chris and I did obviously get together. Was he right away on you about collaborating musically as well? Well, he, you know, he, he really, we collaborated musically on the uh, almost persuaded thing, and, and I think he, he wanted to produce a record of, of me. Oh, okay. And I said, well, I'm, I'm working with this guy, you know, this uh, guy named Robert Kraft, who was, um, you know, I think he, he was, he was producing demos for uh, Bette Midler at that time, and so I sang on backup on some Bette Midler stuff, and. And he, and that guy wanted to fix me up with um, Bruce Willis, and he showed me <laughs> like a picture of Bruce Willis, 
you know, like jumping on top. He says, this guy's coming out to town and he's going to do this pilot. And, and I think you'd think he was fun and he's going to do a Sam Shepard play fool for love. And, and, uh, you know, he showed me a picture of, uh, or, or a video of the guy jumping on a, on a Volkswagen bug. And I said, I have no interest in this dude, <laughs> you know, let's just write some songs, you know, next, you know? And so, um, Chris, you know, I told Chris that this guy, Robert Kraft, wanted to produce a record with me, too. So I'll think about it. And then Chris and I started dating and stuff. And Chris would give me vinyl records of the Flesh Eaters. And I didn't have anything to play them on. So I would read the lyrics and I would go, God, these lyrics are really great. And this is really cool shit, you know. And of course, you know, I, I said I already had one Catholic damaged husband. So I, you know, I really liked that sin and redemption stop right. even being a you know like a waspy iowa girl and uh so i was fascinated with that and um so we started dating and um and i went over one night um i was staying i had gotten kicked out of my place in um in um los Feliz, and i was staying with my friend uh Philibre and franklin and i told him you know i think i'm gonna break up with this guy i don't know if it's going anywhere and i went over to his house and um you know, we did some drugs and and uh, and there was a fire uh, in Hollywood Hills, you know, where my where I was staying. And uh, that's where that song Time Stand Still came from. Oh, cool. Which my even my dad thought was really freaking romantic. You know, I'm the one that started the fire in the hills. So you'd have to stay one more day. <laughs> that's cool. Which, it, it, you know, full disclosure was not true it was a poetic license <laughs> now when you start singing with chris and when you you heard the flesh eaters were you like i can work with this was it weird for you was was it hard for you to sing with chris he he's not obviously as classically trained as you are oh no you know i uh it's kind of my uh you know not really even beginning with chris uh, the it, the guys i sang with in long shot too were were not, uh, you know, they were never tone deaf, but they were never, uh, Andy, um, my friend with the, um, with the, uh, V-Bender was, was kind of a gravelly baritone. And we sang, that's all it took, like nobody's business. We were Iowa City's Graham and Emmy Lou. And, um, you know, it's kind of my stock and trade to be the, the vocal, uh, beauty to somebody's beast. And I sang, uh, you know, obviously with Leonard and I sang Jonah Park with him uh, many a night. And um, and I've sung with Steve Wynn, who's who's he he's got a he's got a wonderful voice, but I wouldn't call it. I wouldn't. You know, when I, I'm when I teach people voice lessons and I teach it, I've gone to like songwriter camps and taught uh, songwriters mm -hmm. to sing. And I often tell them, you know, I've sung with Leonard in countries where they can barely understand, like Finland. You know, most Northern European countries, everybody speaks English. But, you know, there are places where they don't speak uh, speak English really well. And and they may not know what he's saying, but they know that he means it. Right. And I think that's the that's the key is that there's. There's communication going on. There's heart-to-heart -heart communication going on, and that's real important to me. I don't, I don't like a lot of notes if they don't mean anything, and I don't like a lot of, 
I don't like a lot of words if there's nothing, you know, if there if there isn't any content. I feel like I can I can help get the communication across and help make it more you know and just and just make it make it more fun and make it soulful too. Yeah. You did know? you did you uh coach Chris vocally? Not really. Like sometimes in 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 he's really good. He's got he's got a really good pitch and all of that stuff even in that sort of strangled way he sings it's and and I heard Craig the guy who um who engineered the uh, flesh eater sessions say the same thing you know you really are a you're I don't have to change your pitch or anything like that you know and his and his time is good too yeah you know i mean sometimes it takes him a while to get you know where to come in you know but once he's got it he's got it and he's he's really he really knows what he wants and he knows how to tell me what he wants me to sing and i and and uh and then i you know expand upon that you know it's pretty clear that he, you know he and his melodies like bob dylan says about leonard cohen's melodies people forget that his they they talk about his lyric leonard cohen's lyrics and stuff but his melodies are spectacular and so are chris's you know that's true they really soar you know and that's why they're fun to sing let me ask you this i'm reading this book right now this the second part of this john doe book more fun in the new world and they talk oh, i a, haven't got it yet i've yeah, got to get it yeah it's it's really good and i mean they talk it's really focused on more of the roots stuff like the blasters and rank and file mm-hmm. well I, i'm hoping this is still to come in the book i'm, I'm you know a quarter of a way through it but I've yet to hear the name the the Divine Horseman. Do you feel like the yeah. band gets its due? Well, um, I know Chris didn't get asked to talk in this one. He t- he he talked uh, in the first one. Uh, yeah. I mean, he had a chapter in the first one, and he mentions um, Flesh Eaters and Divine Horsemen. I don't know. I ha- I haven't seen the book. Like I said, and not in just in the one, book, but I in felt general. Like I got to know. Well, you know, I really don't feel like it's gotten its due. I mean, I think there are a lot of people looking at it on um, YouTube and in the comment sections, I always see a lot of people, great undersung band, Yeah, you know, here's a band that never got, you know, attention. And, you know, part of it is because it had to come to an end prematurely. And part of that was because I, you know, I don't think I'd be alive if I didn't get sober and leave it. Yeah. You know, I really had to. I, I had to save my own life and and leave it. I don't know what. Uh, I I know that um, that I that I had to. Yeah. And I'm 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 glad that Chris and I get along now, and that we that we're that we've mended fences and can work together now. It's better late than never. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I because I because I really think that the the music part was really substantially uh important is it something that followed you throughout your career like did, did people bring the band up to you oh yeah i've had just yeah even in europe um i still have a, a great old um sweatshirt that i often sleep in in the winter time that somebody made with the posada drawing of that and, and the divine horseman somebody in europe made me a sweatshirt that i still have and I signed 
you know, um, vinyl over there because we had a label over there, New right, Rose right. in uh, France. And yeah, I had, you know, it, it followed me somewhat. The Leonard Cohen thing, I wouldn't say dogged me more than the, than the, uh, the Vine Horseman did, but I, I, I kept, you know, the flame alive about the Divine Horseman whenever I, you know, wrote, had a one sheet written about any of my seven solo records or, or, you know, I, I made sure and talked about that, that my partner with uh, Leonard Cohen, the other singer who toured in the 88 and 93, um, tours with Leonard has made a cottage industry of being, being the Leonard Cohen emissary. Right. And uh, that's great uh, for her, but I really chose to to carve my path with original music and have only covered one song of Leonard's in that time on record, and that's Anthem. And I put it on my um, uh, Stone Cupid record, the, the uh, Cardinal, but I could never find a place for it in the actual sequence. I mean, I drove up and down the road with several, I have stacks of CDs of sequences that I tried to fit it in, and he wound up on the cutting room floor as a bonus track because it could never fit the story. Speaking of your solo albums in Stone Cupid, if if there's somebody out there who has never heard of, heard any of them, but they love the Divine Horseman, where should they start? Oh, that that album, The Cardinal. Okay, and it's on vinyl. You can get it from my site if you click on the music. Um, the stonecupid.com if you click on the music thing it's uh, you can get it directly from my site on squarespace you can also get it on amazon.com from my distributor okay but um but yeah the, the get the vinyl of of um, the cardinal it has a download card in it where you can get the leonard cohen song and all the other things there's a chuck prophet song that uh didn't make the vinyl because it has horns on it and uh so does uh couple of other songs that didn't make the vinyl but the vinyl record is um i'm very proud of it uh and it's a rock and roll record great with a nashville band stone cupid and you've also recently done some touring with the flesh eaters yes i did i'm so proud they let me in the treehouse <laughs> they I... needed some estrogen anyway <laughs> now and i understand that there's also talk about possibly doing some some more recordings and maybe even some touring with the Divine Horseman? Yeah. Um, I'm going to go out there in a couple of weeks to, uh, to do some rehearsing with them, with uh, Chris and, uh, and our guitar player and uh, uh, guitar player uh, Peter Andrus. And he has a friend with whom he shares a um, rehearsal space who has said he will record uh, with us if we, if the songs come together and uh, play bass with us. So we have a band to record with if that, um, if, if the songs come together and that, and we'll kind of find out uh, in by the 10th of July, if, if, if we feel like uh, confident enough to, to try and record. Well, fingers crossed. We don't want to spend the money on it. If it's not going to happen, it's going to be our own money at this point. Where should you, uh, people go, Julie, to, Check out some more of your music. Is it stonecupid.com? Stonecupid.com. And that will take you to, you know, my band camp site and all of that stuff. I'm assuming you're on Facebook as well. I'm on Facebook. 
And there's a Divine Horseman site on Facebook, facebook.com slash Divine Horseman. Right on. Thanks so much, Julie, for taking the time to talk to me today. I'm so glad that you had me, and uh, I hope that uh, your listeners enjoyed it. Yet again, we got someone on the show that uh, very gracious, very generous, and uh, so nice. And um, I mean, it was interesting hearing her talk about it almost like nonchalantly, right? About all the things that she's done. Yeah, she's had quite the career, and it's still going. Like, I checked out that album that she mentions, The Cardinal, and it's definitely a good place for people to start that want to check out her solo stuff that haven't yet. I I really like it. What's it, Is it like Roots type of stuff again? It's Rootsy, but a little rockin', kind of like the Divine Horseman. Okay. I thought it was funny... Well, not funny, interesting, I guess, when she was talking about her producer trying to hook her up with Bruce Willis to make a record. <laughs> yeah. I forgot that he had a, he, like, this came after Moonlighting, but I got that tape that he did. It's, I think it's called The Return of Bruno. I got it for Christmas in, like, 1987 or something on cassette. Oh, dude, yeah. dude, that record, when it came out, was on heavy rotation at my house. My folks, <laughs> my folks loved it. <laughs> Loved it. What was the hit, though? There was, like, a hit on it. Well, I think it was mostly covers, wasn't it? Yeah, like, soul. I seem to recall, like, the Pointer Sisters, who were big at the time, being on it. So I guess that would have been, like, (laughs) that would have been Julie, right? Doing the Pointer Sisters stuff. Oh, man. I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I love her quote. She says something talking about Chris and his sin and redemption lyrics. That's a very good, apt. very good description. Yep. Yeah, no and, doubt. And her her description of her being the vocal beauty to someone's beast is also quite true. Yep. She she touches a little bit on her sobriety and how she had to leave the Divine Horseman, and maybe she thinks that might be part of the reason they haven't gotten their due is because, you know, they ended prematurely or whatever. Yeah. But Chris made a great point last week about I think it was about you know, he can do the flesh eaters anytime he wants because he is the flesh eaters, but to do the divine horseman, he needs Julie and great to hear that they're still on good terms or are back on good terms. I I suppose possibly and are hopefully doing a new record. I can't wait to hear it, especially if it's anywhere near as good as the flesh eaters one that came out this year. Yeah. Agreed. Hard to imagine it not being solid. Oh, it'll be solid. Guaranteed, man. Yeah. She even said, I think, in the interview, if it's not, they won't put it out, you know? Yeah. Like, their legacy matters to them, so... You want to talk about the tunes? Yeah, let's do it. History Lesson, Part 2. Track 1, Side 1. Album opens with a song called My Sin. This one is one of the ones that was originally done... Like, there's a different version of it as a demo, like the 1995 quad, quad Tech demos, the ones that had John Doe and Matt Lee and DJ Bonebreak on them. This is a re-recording of it. Uh, you can get the original version of it on Time Stand Still, uh, the reissue of it that came out on Atavistic. Uh, this one's a bit faster, and I prefer it to that one. 
It's a really nice rocker to kind of open the album. I love the riff. Love the part towards the end when it goes back into that opening riff and the bass kind of locks down and the drums start pounding on the toms and and they're both going, my sin is not forgiven. That's why I got the Judas kiss from you. That part's just awesome. Now, is this song, like you were mentioning the original version, is that the one that came out on that single? Like, I, I've got the single. I just don't know if it's the same one that you're mentioning because I don't have the re-release. I don't know what's, sh- what's the, who engineered that one. Uh, so the single I have, and I believe Chris mentioned it, on the interview from our previous episode on middle of the night, this one is on shock records. It's, um, yeah, it says produced by Christie engineered by Pat Burnett and Christie at quad tech studios. That would be the demo then. Yeah. I'm just trying to look who is on it. You mentioned that DJ bone break and John Doe are on it. Yep. Hmm. Well, they're not listed on this one. What about Matt Lee? Matt Lee guitars. Yes. It's the demo. So this single is the demo. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it has My Sin on side A and then Devil's River on side B. Probably another Devil's River we'll get to in a minute was also one of those demos. So. Yeah, okay. I love the lyrics to this one. I didn't know I could kill a man with my bare hands. Chris writes killer lyrics, man. Track two, Sapphire. This is more of a mid-tempo rocker. It's a little poppy and light. Uh, It's mostly Julian vocals with Chris coming in on the chorus. Track three is the title track, Devil's River. As I mentioned, another one that was originally done as a demo. That one's cool. It's slower. It's got a Hammond organ in it. Julie gets a lyric co-write on this one. Chris is kind of doing a little bit of stiv here. Oh yeah, I, I suppose so. He does like There's Nothing Left of Devil's River any Mawa a few times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really like this one. This is a standout for me. Track four, He Rode Right Out. Interesting, this one is music and lyrics by Texacala Jones. It's definitely a country rock song, and I'd say it's the most country-sounding song on the record. Uh, I did not ask Chris about this during the interview, so I, I followed up with him, and he told me, he had a cassette of Texacala singing and playing acoustic guitar on 10 or 15 songs that he had recorded uh, one night in the Slash office stairwell. He says, I was really taken with this one and Julie liked it too. I meant to mention this last time, but I, I forgot to. I think he uh, Chris was also a producer, like many people know this, but he, he worked for Slash for a while and... I think more for Ruby Records, which I think was like a subsidiary of Slash Records. Uh, But he produced Top Jimmy. Uh, He produced The Gun Club, Fire of Love, at least part of it. He produced The Dream Syndicates, The Days of Wine and Roses, Green on Red's Gravity Talks. Ryan, he produced the first Lazy Cowgirls album, one of my favorites. He mixed the Germs album, What We Do Is Secret, like the 12-inch, or like helped mix it, had a hand in it. And I think he he either produced or helped mix the Misfits Walk Among Us. Yeah, that's quite a resume. Totally, man. I'd love to hear those Texacala Jones recordings that he did in the did at Slash. Okay, track five, Come Into This Place, which is 
kind of a rewrite, I would say almost, of a Flesh Eater song called Poison Arrow, which came out on the last one, kind of before they broke up the first time, and, and he and Julie form, formed the Divine Horseman. It's called A Hard Road to Follow. That version is way more demented than this, but it's really cool. Kind of sounds like, this version kind of reminds me of like, and this might be the production, but it reminds me of something that you'd hear on uh, Fly on the Wall era ACDC. Yeah, well, is it also because of the guitar riff? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's what I mean. Yeah, come on. Like, when I I heard that, I was like, oh yeah, sink the pink. (laughs) (laughs) Flick of the Switch and Fly on the Wall are good albums, and they never get their due. Yeah, I wouldn't say they're good. They're okay. What? Yeah. Flick Flick of the Switch, sorry. Flick of the Switch is awesome. Fly, and and fly on the wall, man. Nah, fly on the wall doesn't come close to flick of the switch. Oh, I had I had both of them on like they were kind of the first ones I got on cassette, and they go together as a package for me, and they're awesome. Yeah. All right, the SST cassette adds "If Only I Could" onto side one. By the way, which we talked about last week, it's on uh, middle of the night. Flip the album over, and we've got "Tenderest Kiss." Again, originally done as an 85 quad tech demo. Chris says in his A Minute to Pray, A Second to Die book that this one was about Julie. It's pretty close to the demo. That one has some nice kind of rolling piano on it. Uh, He also says in his book, this is a song where I was striving to do something similar to the Beatles, Hey Jude, and Simple Minds, Don't You Forget About Me. Second track on side two is called Love Call. We've got Jimmy Wood on harmonica here. Uh, Again, referring to his book, he says, The germination for this track began lyrically as vague ideas in Flesh Eaters rehearsal jams in late 82 or early 83. He calls this a storytelling type song inspired by a diverse selection of writers from James McCain, Jim Thompson, Harry Cruz, and David Goodis. And there's some lyrics from Julie. Um, the drugs that you stole paid for my operation. Now I'm so pumped full of morphine, I can feel the devil's fingers wrapped around my spine. Probably pretty autobiographical there. Yeah, yikes. Yep. Track three, Too Young to Die. This is like a gloomy, moody, Stooges-style rocker. Uh, this one sounds like something the Hangmen could have done a bit later on. I kind of consider the Hangmen to be, you know, descendants of the Divine Horsemen. Oh, yeah? Did they share members? No, no. Just, like, sonically. Oh, I see. Okay. I don't really know the Hangmen. You don't know the Hangmen? No, man. Oh, you're missing out. They have a new album coming out this year, too. Huh. Okay. I'll look into it. Don't get sucked in by confusing there's like a shitty psychobilly band called the hangman sorry if sorry if anybody likes that psychobilly band (laughs) (laughs) i'm talking about the cool la hangman that keith morris managed he was their manager he talks about them in the oh okay i remember yeah yeah yeah. from his book right right okay yeah they're awesome yeah they're not the shitty psychobilly band got it no they're the awesome LA band. I'm on it. 
Okay. Then we go to track four on side two. It doesn't matter. I just wrote, holy stones. Talk about come into this place reminding you of Sink the Pink. <laughs> it, do <laughs> it doesn't matter reminds me of You Got Me Rockin' by the Rolling Stones, but only the Stones song came out like, you know, 10 years after this, so... And then we uh, we end the album with the track Middle of the Night, which we talked about last week. And the SST cassette adds Mother's Worry onto the end of it. The New Rose CD adds all of Middle of the Night, all of those tracks, except for Voodoo Idol, which is available, which was already available in Europe on the New Rose 100 LP. Hey, Brent, um, I'm just looking at the back and noticing, we mentioned this last episode about the engineering work by Brett Gerwitz. Yes. Did you check out that band, Spaghetti Western? Yes. And? Didn't like it. Neither did I. <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on. <laughs> I, I, was, I had high hopes for it, man. I was like, cool, yeah. country rock on early Epitaph? Epitaph, yeah. Yeah, no. I can't believe I remembered that. <laughs> I can hardly remember what I did you know, this morning, but I remembered this obscure epitaph country album that Brett Gurwitz did. Yeah. Well, Whatever. Especially considering it's not very memorable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, before we get to the artwork, I, I want to lay down something I found on you. This is from a spin review from June of 87 by Byron Coley, who's a huge fan of, of the Flesh Eaters. He does a lot of the liner notes to some of their CD reissues. I thought this is a pretty good quote from that review. Christie had a major hand in shaping an aesthetic that defined the parameters of LA's post-70s outlaw culture. He is what's known as a mover, and his new band, Divine Horsemen, move like Satan's own go-kart. That's a good quote. All right, let's talk about the artwork, Ryan. All right. A little bit uh, of a collage on the front, hey? Yeah, and I think Chris D did it. I like it. It kind of, um, I mean, not all of the images, I guess, have references in the lyrics to the songs, but it's not a far stretch to see some of these images in the songs if you want to, right? It's true, yep. I believe the photos of the Divine Horseman are taken by Ed Culver. Yeah, likely. Cut out again, um... I'm just trying to see, like, who are the pe like the people that are cut out? I wish I knew who they were. There's some that look, like, vaguely familiar, but maybe it's just because it's all, like, kind of pulp fiction, hot rod, culture, western, middle eastern type images that are, you know, very similar to the type of stuff that you would see in, like, a comic book or pulp mag or something. Or old Western movies or something. That's kind of neat. It definitely suits the record. Yeah, definitely. And uh, the similar theme on the back with some cutouts. I like the image on the top, though, of like the fist with the eyeball in it. That's cool. Yeah. And then uh, I think that's a mushroom cloud at the bottom. Yeah, it sure looks like one. Uh, it goes through... Um, a lot of the info that we mentioned on the last episode in terms of produce and mix by Christie, engineered by Rick Novak at Control Center, except for 
the uh, the tracks Sapphire and Tenderest Kiss, which were produced by John Burnham Christie and engineered by Brett Gerwitz at West Beach Recorders. You mentioned that uh, Texacala did uh, the song he wrote right out, or uh, lyrics anyways. Or no, did Texacala write the whole song? Yeah, she wrote the whole thing, music and all. Oh, okay. yeah. not just the lyrics. Okay, got it. My mistake. Um, yeah, and it has pictures by Ed Culver, confirmed. It says, mastered by Pat Burnett at Quad Tech in L.A., now, did you read the uh, the wording around the edge of the the back cover? It kind of it says, um, where would you start? It says, "Divine Horsemen, Kings and Queen of Devil's River, sleep in the daytime, and I dream in rhyme." It may be, it may be as in, but a sin. It, it, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it may it may be a sin, but it ain't no crime. I feel so caged up. I don't want to drown in sorrow. There you go. Yeah. Dead Easy. wax, dead wax, dead wax. Okay, I'm looking. That's almost as hard to read as the uh, the, the credits on the back of Raging Full On. Not even close. Not even close. Okay, here we go. Side one. And what, don't let me forget there's an insert. Uh, what does it say here? I don't think it says anything. It just has words on the side A or just like the, um, yeah, no, it doesn't say anything. I mean, on side B, it's, it has the word rose, but that's it. Hmm. The rest is just like. You don't have the new rose version. Um, no, mine is SST. All right. SST. What does it say on side A? I can't see any like specific words. Oh no, it says rose on side A as well. It says Rose 102A and Rose uh, Rose 102B. So maybe this is catalog number 102 on the new Rose yeah, version. Maybe. Um, and then in terms of the insert, you got some lyrics. You got another image of the band. How badass do they look, eh? Pretty badass. Like I wouldn't, a, I wouldn't fuck with the Divine Horseman, man. No. They look like a gang. Yeah, and there is a an image of, I guess, a horse. Yep. <laughs> like a horse. Maybe that's because they're the divine horsemen. A drawing there. Who drew that picture? I don't see the credit there. I should have looked that up before. Yeah, I don't think it says. Nope. Ballot result. What's your pick for ballot result? Uh, you know what? I really like My Sin. Yeah, I like that one too. It's great. Thought it's a good track. I actually, I went back and listened to that single, and the, the demos are not without their charm either. Yeah, no, they're good. For we'll sure. have to post a picture of the single as well. Yeah, we will. Hey, should I check and see if there's uh, Dead Wax on the single? Sure. I never thought of that. Let's see here. Do, do, do. Okay. Yeah, there is some. Okay, here we go. On uh, so this is the this is the Shock Records demos of My Sin and Devil's River. Side A, otherwise known as this side, I guess it says a hard road. Dot 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 to follow. And then 
side B says dot, dot, dot to follow. Yep. <laughs> Did you know that? Well, it's a Flesh Eaters album. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Sorry, dude. My ears are just ringing so bad after the last three days. <laughs> I wore earplugs the whole time. It made no difference almost. Yeah. Oh, well. All right. So, Brant, we're taking some time off. Yeah. I want to thank everybody who's tuned in for the last, I don't know, five, six months here since we came back from our little, our last break was like two weeks long at Christmas. So hopefully this gives a ch- people a chance to check out some other podcasts or at least get caught up with ours and uh, we'll, we will be back. So stay tuned to all our social media for, uh, for an update. Yeah. And we've got some great stuff coming up. We've got the cracks in the sidewalk is our return episode various artists we've mentioned that a ton in earlier episodes but uh, it'll be cool to go through that one that's a new alliance re-release we've got a swa record then we hit some flesh eaters dos domin again which i'm super pumped about because yeah. i love i love me some dos domin sonic youth confusion is sex brand yeah and then sonic youth self-titled 12 inch i'm gonna call it an ep i hope that's okay that's okay um, then we get to some painted willy some zoogs some pups some tar babies it's gonna be good hey thanks everybody hope you have a great summer hey everyone thanks for listening you can find us on facebook instagram twitter tumblr all at mojack pod we post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show our blog is mojackpod.com please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.